Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology, with me, Tiasha Zaitz. In the patient-included or patient-centered healthcare approach, patient feedback is key for improved care and healthcare experience. But traditional feedback methods face three key challenges. Surveys have a top-down design flaw, which means that healthcare providers or researchers dictate what aspects of care are important and then ask patients to provide feedback on these predetermined areas. The second challenge with surveys is that the sample is usually unrepresentative. The demographic of patients who typically complete the surveys tends to be limited. Generally, those who participate are people with more time available, often English speakers and usually inpatients. This creates a skewed representation of patient feedback as it predominantly reflects the experience of a specific subset of patients rather than a diverse cross-section. And the third challenge with surveys or other traditional methods is that they are cost and time consuming. At Health 2023, I spoke with Megan Lever, founder of PepHealth, which uses a digital platform to collect and analyze patient feedback from various online sources, moving away from traditional, less effective survey methods. Megan shared more insights behind the innovation in the patient feedback gathering, what actionable insights healthcare providers can get from PEP Insights, and the impact patient feedback analysis can have on policymaking. Enjoy the show, and if you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your shows, and also check out our newsletter. You can find it at fodh.substack.com. That's fodh.substack.com. The newsletter comes out roughly once a month and usually includes an in-depth analysis of a specific topic. Now let's dive in. Megan, thanks for joining this discussion about basically patient feedback, the importance of patient feedback. So let's start with a very simple question. Why is it important that we gather patient feedback? I'm a psychologist by background. I spent years in health systems at the front line listening to patient stories. And when I look across and try to understand, okay, how do we take patients' experiences of care their stories and their narratives and really use that to leverage and improve quality of care that's delivered, we just weren't able to do it. The traditional methods for understanding patient experience, taking that feedback and then implementing it to change the way care is delivered has been traditionally done by surveys. And this is really problematic for three big reasons, but the methodology itself is quite flawed. It's very top down. It's us telling patients what matters most, and then asking them about that. So there's a real design flaw, I think, in that sense. It's not putting patients as in the driver's seat in terms of what matters most to them. It's unrepresentative. So the patients that do fill in those surveys tend to be of a certain demographic. People who have a bit more time on their hands to fill these things in, usually English language first, and, and tended to be inpatient surveys themselves. So people who really were there having those episodes of care. 
And then they're also just very costly and the time burden of surveys on on loads of people across the system. And we decided, my founder and I, to take a step back and try and understand how we could change the way patient experience was really leveraged to improve quality. And we looked across and said, we got loads of people online, speaking online digitally, millions of voices. How do we bring that together, make sense of it, and feed that back as a sort of indicator or barometer in terms of what's going on in the health system? And that's really where it started. So we gathered all of this data together from places across like Google, Twitter, RateMD, all of these places where people are going to really talk about their care. We actually listened to over eight and a half million unique web pages. People are speaking in loads of different places. We brought that together and we analyzed it. And the key areas that mattered most to patients across every single service line, every single location where care is delivered, and we're able to feed that back in a meaningful way to the health plans and also to the health system so that they could start utilizing this data in real time. So how exactly is this actionable to a specific hospital? Yeah, no, absolutely. So we take that data together. What traditionally had been done is you have a score. So you know, okay, my patient experience at this health system level is a three out of five, just as an example. And what we're doing is we're taking that a step further and we're giving you the why and the where. So we can give you a PEP score, which is that you're scoring three out of five for access. Okay, I know it's at access, but it's not just at the health system. It's each facility within that health system, which starts to pinpoint, okay, where in my health system? Because there's a lot of variation in terms of patient experience across different facilities. Now I can pinpoint it's hospital system one, facility three, it's access, and it's across the service line of oncology. Now I really know where I need to go and look and it equips the health system with this real-time data so they can go and inspect in those areas and try to drive improvement. And they can also use the data to evaluate and measure that improvement. You implement an improvement plan. The access issue was around scheduling of appointments in oncology services. So you drive an intervention there. And you can pick up really quickly in the data whether patients are getting it. Is it making a difference? Is it moving the needle for them in terms of quality? Mm-hmm. And that ability to really close the loop in terms of that improvement makes a huge difference. And it's something we haven't been able to do before. Okay. What kind of changes do you see that customers that you work with implement on top of the assessment that you give them? Do they do any additional surveys? Do they change uh, the way that they basically try to get a sense of how patients feel? To which extent are, for example, also patient-reported outcomes a useful measurement in this? Yeah, no, it's a good question. So I think definitely not more surveys. I think one of the big things that we've done actually is remove some of the survey burden. So with one of our key health plans and the three health systems within that network that we work with, They've actually, in the first year, looked at our data, looked at their internal survey programs and said, wait a second, we're getting a lot more actionable data from the PEP scores than we are getting from the internal surveys. And it's a more passive evaluation of patient experience in the sense that you don't have to really burden the patient with another survey. So they've taken out their internal survey programs and replaced it with our tool, which does that more kind of passive listening in terms of what patients are saying. Mm -hmm. So less survey burden, but still getting that real-time data. The other key ways that we're being utilized by the health plans is in value-based negotiations, value-based agreements, and really moving the needle on transparency around star ratings. Mm -hmm. For a very long time, we've had a lot of transparency around quality and the indicators that go into quality, the hundreds of indicators that we're looking at that determine quality. Cost has also been pretty clearly represented. We understand it. We can capture it. We can measure it. But experience, that sort of third leg of the triple aim or value-based healthcare, has just not been well understood particularly for the health plan, who are a bit blind to what comes back in the surveys, but also to the health systems themselves, who get these pretty generic scores. 
So what's happening with the data that we have is we're adding that transparency and we're starting to make a more robust set of indicators, KPIs around patient experience, which really helps unlock that triple aim Mm -hmm. or value-based healthcare. And no longer do quality, cost, and experience need to sit in silos. You can start actually aggregating those data sets together, looking for the correlations, and under, understanding a health system from a more holistic point of view. Okay. Can you elaborate a bit further on the data set, basically, that you're using? You mentioned earlier that surveys are uh, filled out by a specific population. Yeah. How does feedback that you find online differ from that? What do you know Great about question. the demographic that you have? Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. So we're not identifying anyone. I think that's really important to say up front. It's publicly available data. It's data that people have put online. It's not behind any sort of private firewall. But we're gathering it from so many different sources. And we know a lot about the demographic traffic that goes on those sources. So a very crude example, but Facebook tends to be utilized or the demographic representation of Facebook as given by Facebook is an older demographic, usually of a certain socioeconomic and educational background where you're looking at Twitter or X and that looks quite different. So their demographic representation or what they know about it is younger, professional, 30 to 40 of a certain education and socioeconomic background. And so you start to be able to fill in the gaps between, okay, those are the places people are going. And then you have eight and a half million different pages. We can evaluate across any language. So we are language agnostic. We meet people where they are on community forum pages, whether it's in Spanish, whether it's in English, French, Italian, any of these languages, it doesn't matter. It's treated still the same. So we know we're accessing a much broader group of people also in their more organic and natural language, which I think is really important as well. We currently have 25 million relevant comments across the whole of the U.S. in every single location. The kind of vastness, the volume and the depth of this data is more than we've seen before. And I think it's really about that aggregate level patient experience. We're not picking out one person who yells the loudest on 10 different sites is going to be heard more and counted more. It doesn't work like that. For every data point that we use in order to build out that kind of curve of patient experience and that score, we need at least 25 comments to sit behind it, relevant patient comments, which means each data point is quite robust and it's aggregated. So it's not just the patient who complains the most or says it was absolutely fabulous and it gets counted as a five. There needs to be that pattern behind it. So we're really looking for those trends. Mm -hmm. And I think that helps in terms of determining the robustness and taking action. You're not taking an action and driving an improvement plan based on a handful of people. We're talking about thousands of different people in a similar service line, for example, telling you the same story. That becomes more meaningful. And what are the key findings that you came across so far? So what are patients satisfied or dissatisfied with most? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. In our latest report, this is something that we cover. Because we can really look everywhere, we're identifying and mapping every single location where care is delivered, and we can do that across service line as well as across domain. There are a couple of different ways to cut that. But I think as a high-level trend, we see fast access or access to care as in crisis across the whole of the U.S. I think that's pretty unsurprising for anyone who's really close to the front line of care. Workforce constraints contribute to that in quite a significant way. And COVID put an extreme strain on the system and people accessing the system. I think what we are able to pull out from that and say, okay, here's the landscape. Fast access is hard. Some services are doing that better than others for some key reasons. And some states, for example, or health systems are doing that better than others. So how are they doing it? One of the key examples that kind of comes to mind was when we were looking at this analysis, we saw we did an analysis of the last six months compared to the previous six months, 
how are the states doing across the U.S. in terms of their access to care in oncology services? So this is like for like cancer care services from the patient's point of view. And you see somewhere like Kansas, it had moved forward 40% in terms of access. So something's going on in Kansas where they are really nailing it in terms of access. So how do we learn from that? How do we pinpoint what are the kind of key findings there and help other states learn from that and implement the same changes? Similarly, we obviously see deterioration across a lot of different systems. So we can pinpoint Tennessee falling by 20% in its maternity care services. What's happening there? It's a closure of, of services in certain areas. We can pinpoint why that's happening. What are the demographics and how do you start reaching out to them and improving on those access constraints? Mm -hmm. Uh, Pep Health was actually originally from the UK, if I'm yes. not mistaken. Yes. So can you maybe talk about the differences in findings in the NHS compared to yeah. the US? Yeah, no, it's really fascinating. So we were born in the NHS, uh, NHS Innovation Accelerator, the only patient experience solution that had been chosen to be a part of it. It was very exciting. Our original work in the yeah. British Medical Journal was really looking at outcomes in terms of prioritization of inspections and the wisdom of patients. So it was really fascinating and great to look at. Obviously, the NHS is a very different healthcare system than in the U.S., but I think what becomes interesting is, the, is people's behavior and the language that they use and how often they go online to really talk about their care. So we see in America, people are twice as likely to leave their reviews and feedback online than those in the U.K. And as a baseline in the U.K., we're getting about a million relevant comments a month just in England alone. So we've got this extreme difference in terms of volumes and people going online and that kind of accessibility. I think the language that people use has also been really different. So that's an interesting one for us and our language team. They've had, even though it's English to English in a lot of ways, the way that you talk about care and the sort of directness and the verbiage is very different. So that's been an interesting challenge to us that we accepted and modified all of our models to the kind of American English, which was quite neat as well. But the way that people are still driving them, driving to go online and wanting to share their episodes of care and really wanting to just be listened to and recognized, that's the same. I think it's at the heart of people just trying to be heard, mm -hmm. I think, in terms of their experiences of care. And we see that as very similar. Did they express different uh, issues? The issues themselves tend to be actually be quite the same. So when we were going through building out the algorithms and understanding the different domains that mattered most to patients in the U.S. and in the U.K., one big striking difference has to do with billing and administration. It's just something that doesn't exist in the U.K. It's a public health care system. It's not something that people consider when they're going through their health care experience. And it's a big pain point in the U.S. So how you were billed and the administration that you had to deal with through your care experience can be quite undignified in some ways and add a lot of pressure and a lot of stress to people's experience of care. And so that was actually an entirely separate domain we had to build out just for the U.S. But thinking about the access constraints and the kind of current crisis in terms of access, we see a lot of very similar pressure points in terms of workforce constraints and the changes that have really happened across the health ecosystem since COVID. Mm-hmm. Can you just, uh, with a sentence or two, explain uh, what fast access is? Because the audience is global and yeah, some people may absolutely. not uh, understand that. And I'll put it in the, in the previous answer. Yep. Nope. Definitely. There are seven key quality domains and they're actually internationally recognized. So they're determined by the WHO when we're talking about patient experience. Access or fast access is one of those domains. We think about access to care as waiting times and your access to see a qualified a clinician that you need to that needs to be seen and obviously so waiting times scheduling and access to a qualified professional 
Mm-hmm. Are the three key elements that go into, did I access care in a meaningful, effective, and timely way? Okay. And how uh, is your platform or the insights that you provide? Do you see that policymakers are also trying to take that information and use it when they're thinking about healthcare system changes? Yeah, that's really where we'd like to be, I think, is changing and moving the needle in terms of what the status quo is on patient experience. So one of the key challenges that we see in the UK and likewise in the US is it's very difficult to set policy when everybody's treating their data in a different way. So if your methodology is not like for you really can't unlock this kind of system level benchmarking. And we try to change that. So we treat all of the data at each facility in the same way so that for the first time, regulators and policymakers can say, okay, we can meaningfully start to benchmark one next to the other and understand these differences, these rankings and and why they exist. So we work really closely in the UK with NHS England, who would be the main policymaker in terms of healthcare, as well as the CQC, who are the regulator, in order to use our data to help prioritize for where do we need to look next? What are the kind of key issues and trends in terms of patient experience? And add some meaningful data to the conversation in terms of what should be the next kind of set of quality improvements that are really designed with the patient in mind Mm -hmm. and what matters most to them. What kind of technology do you use to basically gather and mine all the data that you are then analyzing? Yeah, so we worked really closely with AWS. We're one of the AWS Accelerator Program uh, global cohort. And so really through our entire pipeline, we use their compute power in a big way um, to spin up different instances to hold the data and to store it and to analyze it. We obviously have data across the UK and the US. But we use them through I mean, our technology and architect- architectural solutions through our entire pipeline. So we have an entire mapping capability where we're actually just identifying the locations where care are delivered. Then we're obviously employing bespoke algorithms that are natural language processing and natural language understanding driven. So part of this larger kind of language model space. And that's what we're using to actually codify the data. Everything's themed by place, by domain, as I've said, and by service line. And then running up our SaaS dashboards, which are then that kind of UX design interface where we generate and share the insights with our clients. Mm -hmm. Are there any changes that, uh, you know, you can mention any concrete examples of changes that have happened uh, as a result of somebody having the insights that you provide and acting on them. Yeah, definitely. So we've published quite a bit of our work. We, Like I said, our initial paper was in the British Medical Journal looking at wisdom of the patients. We've also published in the Lancet and the Journal of Midwifery. And the Journal of Midwifery and the Lancet, I think, are really good examples of exactly how our data has been used to change and move the needle in terms of quality. So with the Journal of Midwifery, we worked really closely with a hospital in the UK and with their maternity services department looking at the feedback that they were getting in real time and then implementing changes and interventions based on what the patients were saying. So one of the key findings was that patients felt that in the antenatal area, they were just not getting the educational services that they needed. They didn't understand where they needed to go, why they needed to do it, what types of tests were upcoming, how to assess their risk indicators, and how to really interpret the information that they were getting back from their clinician. So there were some key issues in terms of the continuity of care, but also the communication. And it was really off-putting for a lot of women in the the antenatal area. And so they were talking about this online, and it was a growing conversation. And we brought this to the attention, obviously, through our dashboard, to the maternity services unit, which developed an educational package that they then were able to talk about online, to go on their official channels, 
and to meet women in the unit and say, hey, this is really important to you. We want to share this information. We've got it. We need to communicate better. And they really saw a direct improvement in terms of women's experiences of care after that after that intervention. Mm-hmm. And so we've had a lot of different instances where we've been able to work really directly with the frontline units and the nurses and the doctors who are on the floor themselves dealing with patients and say, these are the things that really matter most. And you can really make those changes. And what are some of your expectations or uh, hopes around the future impact of the work that you're doing? I would absolutely like to see the patient experience, the real experiences of patients be included in a meaningful way in the way that quality is delivered. I think currently it is a tick box exercise that is not very transparent and not very well understood by the systems or the plans that are trying to implement changes. And I would love to see patients really be in the driving seat of what those changes look like and have it reflect what matters most to them. So the idea that we've generated a like-for-like methodology where you can benchmark across and have scores that are meaningful, actionable, and directed, and really reflect what patients want is what I'd like to see utilized across all of these systems. Mm -hmm. What's the most challenging thing for you in everything that you do? Wow, the most challenging thing. I suppose it's coming up against the traditional way of understanding experience. I think for a very long time, experience has been treated as this difficult, nebulous, difficult to understand and capture metric, right? So we've run our surveys, but we don't really believe what they say. And so they're a little bit useless. And there's just become a bit of an an apathetic attitude, I think, to understanding patient experience. We put a lot of energy, or I think the industry puts a lot into, it's very important we understand experience, but a lot less action into doing something about it. And that's what we're here for. I think we need to really revolutionize the way that we understand patients to meet them where they are and to start including their voice as a real metric for quality. I think that's what matters. And that's where where really we hope to be. But challenging that status quo is definitely our biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. I think saying we're here and we can do something about it. Mm -hmm. We mentioned earlier that basically access or fast access was uh, the biggest complaint or the most visible one. Is most there, visible, for sure. Yeah. Is there, what were others in terms of just care delivery or quality of care? Is there anything that you can add to that? In terms of access? How no, do you no, mean? not oh. access. So oh. if we leave access aside, yep. what are some of the other things, I don't know, in terms of quality of care or the way patients are treated? What did the data show? Yeah, the other kind of key. So I'd say there's a few key service lines where people really go online to talk about care. And I think we also see a dearth of return in terms of surveys, which is meaningful. So things like palliative care, maternity services, urgent care and oncology. People are increasingly going online and creating these communities where they're talking about their experiences. Uh, So I think that's important to note that we really feel that we fill in a gap in that sense of these are the people that you're not hearing from as much as you should be. In terms of the key domains that people are highlighting most often, and particularly in those areas and service lines as well, access obviously being the first one I've discussed, I think effective treatment and the continuity of care become incredibly important people feeling that they got the care that they deserved or the care that they needed and that was something that was meaningful for them is really important. Mm -hmm. I should note the patient experience that we capture is also from caregivers and family members. It's from the people who sit around the interactions in the care, in the experience of care. And I think that is incredibly important. It's the people who are there and need to pick up the slack in a lot of ways when you go into the community and care continues outside of the hospital. So these are not just one instance of care episodes, a lot of the times it's people who have multiple touch points with a care system Mm -hmm. and the people who are left to try and 
understand the communication, continue the continuity of care, go to the next referral, understand where they need to be at the next appointment, understand what kind of care am I meant to deliver at home? What do I need to be doing? And where do I find those educational services to help me do it? We're capturing all of that. Same with the people who fall out of the system. Mm -hmm. And so we hear a lot about effective treatment and how that treatment was delivered, whether or not it was dignified, whether or not you feel like you got what you needed. We hear a lot about the continuity of care being, in a lot of cases, broken. So not seeing the same service provider, not being able to get through to your next stage after your referral. This is a big one in oncological services. So I get into my first appointment, I get through a referral, and then I fall out of the system. Or things start to get a bit bumpy and messy. I don't know where I need to go next. I'm seeing loads of different people in the system. They don't understand. I show up, medicines management becomes an issue. Nobody knows where my notes are. And that impacts people's experience of their care and the continuity of that care that they're receiving. And then I'd say, obviously, alongside the access issues that people are seeing. Mm -hmm. And this cuts, uh, just to pick up on the continuity of care and the effective treatment, one of the key findings that we saw in our report was in mental health services. Right out of the gate, we saw mental health services as just a big flash of red and orange across the whole map of the U.S., which is pretty shocking. And then we go, okay, let's take a step back and try and understand what's driving that. And the key scores that were the poorest that were driving that were effective treatment. We started to think, okay, why is that? There's a dearth of services in terms of mental health care service. But a lot of people are presenting in A&E or in urgent care. And urgent care isn't equipped necessarily to deal with a lot of the mental health case, cases that, they're, that are presenting in their A&E. And that became the gap. That became the explainer of you have a lot of people showing up into a system that's not actually equipped with the service to take care of them. Of course, they feel that they were not effectively treated for the situation that they were in. And I think that goes both ways, but really highlights the need for uh, a change in terms of the service delivery for mm -hmm. a cohort of patients who need it most. Yeah. I know that you are gathering and analyzing millions of data points yeah. and basically everything that we discussed is about what the aggregated data says. So I don't know if you have any specific uh, stories or the, the raw data, raw comments yeah. that stuck with you that maybe you can mention. Oh, gosh. We are much more driven. So if you look into our dashboard, we've got a kind of homepage overview. You're able to see the whole, let's say, state, the whole country if you wanted to. Systems to systems. Can I get an overview and understand what that sort of mean is? What should I expect in terms of patient experience in this area? Population health level, which is super exciting and something that I think from the regulator's point of view, they really like to be able to see that. So we can say, okay, what's the state of play? I think is a good way to put it. And you can see that by service line, access, et cetera. What? Then we can drill down deeper. There are only three tabs. Second tab, you can look into a system. So I'm starting to understand the facilities, the variation in care that exists between different areas. What's driving that variation? And then the third tab is the comments. So you are able to really understand each comment and pick each comment out. And you can filter that by keywords. You can filter it by service lines. You can filter it by any of the domains that you're interested in. And then you can start to get this really granular understanding of what people have actually said. And I think what strikes me as important and meaningful is that a lot of these comments, they're quite nuanced and they're meaningful for the people who are leaving them. Of course, on certain platforms, 150 character limitations, etc., they'll be shorter. But the, the what do I want to say? The, the majority of the comments that we get are actually pretty meaningful stories and longer narratives about people's experiences of care. And I think some of the most meaningful ones for me are the positive ones, the ones that really give back to the frontline staff who work incredibly hard to deliver high quality care in really difficult in some in some ways. And so they'll be the 
family and caregivers of someone who's had a very long-term illness and has spent a long time in the hospital, just saying, thank you. That meant a lot to me. You took really good care of my father when he was ill. And I don't know how to thank you, but this just meant so much. And some of the hospitals that we work with actually use those comments as a kind of comment of the month, nurse of the month, like motivational aspect of, look, people care. They may not always leave a note or may not have the time to do it or are grieving in a lot of ways as they leave the hospital, but they go back online to say, this meant a lot. This was really important to us. And the way he held his hand or took care of him in a, in, a, in a really gentle way just made the difference for us. And I think those are the ones that I find the most meaningful. And we do capture a lot of that kind of commentary from the family. And I think it's important. And I've seen it make a difference for the staff. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health, a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe to the show or follow us on LinkedIn. Additionally, check out our newsletter. You can find it at fodh.substack.com. That's fodh.substack.com. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.